This is a Tech Briefs Media Group podcast. Welcome to another Who's Who at NASA podcast. For this month's podcast, I spoke with Kurt Lloyd, a software engineer at NASA's Kennedy Space Center. Kurt talks about swarmy robots and the ant-inspired software that runs them. So, Kurt, uh, to, to set the stage here, can you tell us what is a swarmy robot? A swarmy robot is a, a small um, mobile robot. It, uh, it looks a lot like a uh, remote-controlled vehicle, a remote-controlled truck, I guess you would call it. Um, it's, uh, it's about a foot by a foot mm-hmm. um, in size. And um, the swarmy robot is made out of parts that you can buy at your local hobby store. So, you know, so the robot itself... Um, is not really the focus of of our project. Um, it's the the software on board and the behaviors that these robots produce um, that uh, that we're studying in this project. Because the swarmy robots are actually programmed to act like ants in the way that they um, search for food and bring the food back to the nest and in the way that they communicate with other ants in order to um, in order to find the food and bring it back to the nest in a, in a very efficient manner. Right. So this ant approach uh, is considered more efficient. What makes it more efficient than, say, uh, searching an entire area? Well, there's several different ways to, um, to cover a large area. Um, you can use... You know, the lawnmower method, which most people are familiar with, where you just go back and forth and back and forth and try and cover every square inch, um, that that will cover a, um, an area very thoroughly, but not necessarily, not very efficiently. Mm-hmm. Um, another technique is to... Um, is to use multiple robots and have them each searching in a random pattern. Um, and um, there are some pros and cons uh, with that technique. Also, um, usually in the, in, the, in the random search technique when you have multiple robots, um, they would each be operating independently and searching independently. Mm-hmm. And so what we've done um, is with the, with the ant searching technique, if a robot finds um, some resources and notices that there are other resources in that area, it will leave um, a digital pheromone trail or a virtual pheromone trail back to the nest um, so that when other robots leave the nest, um, they can follow that pheromone trail and help with the, help with the collection of that food. This, uh, this ant-based um, searching technique was actually um, not invented by, by myself. Um, we're working very closely with the University of New Mexico Biological Computation Lab team, and um, they have been doing research for several years on the, this ant-inspired search technique. Um, so we're actually helping them with this research and actually adding more variables to um, a robot system. Um, for example, one of the variables we added in this project was um, the, the onboard batteries of these robots we're simulating them um, discharging and simulating them recharging. So they discharge while they're 
out and about searching and foraging. Um, and then the robots decide when is the most, when is the best time to come back to home base, give up the search and, and come back to home base in order to recharge. Um, and it's not necessarily the, the most efficient way is not necessarily for them to drive until their batteries are almost dead and then come back and recharge. There's, um, there's a genetic algorithm in the system that decides, um, that looks at all the parameters and runs a bunch of simulated um, trials and it decides um, when is the uh, most efficient time for the robots to, uh, um, to recharge their batteries. What other parts are we talking about? You mentioned earlier that the the parts could be bought at a at a hobby store. Yes, the uh, the robots are made from um, hobby store parts. You know, we have we have four wheels. Uh, we have the the main chassis. We have motors um, attached to the wheels. We have sensors. So uh, the sensors that we put on these robots are not sensors that you would use, you know, on the moon or on Mars. Um, they're sensors that we, um, that, that make these robots work here on earth in, in the arena that we're putting them in. We're, we're driving them, we're, uh, we're putting them in a, a parking lot, an empty parking lot here at Kennedy Space Center. Um, it's actually right outside the, uh, launch control center. And, um, so the sensors we're using, uh, to sense obstacles are, uh, very cheap, very simple um, ultrasonic sensors um, that you would see in um, in small hobby robots, um, and uh, the sensors we're using to find food. And I'm I'm using air quotes when I say food because the food or the resources that these robots are searching for are actually barcodes that are printed and are distributed on the ground for the robots to find. And so the sensor that Consensus these barcodes is uh, um, just a simple USB webcam, the same kind of webcam you would use on your um, on your PC at home in order to do um, video conferencing, you know, with family and friends. So on board, we have these uh, um, these sensors. Um, we also have a couple different computers. We have a small microcontroller that's collecting data. Uh, from our, all of our sensors, and then we have a small computer um, that is a, a Linux-based, a small Linux-based computer, and that's where we're um, putting all of our software that makes these robots behave and work and act like ants. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I wanted to talk about the software a bit. How does the software let the, the robots sort of do the thinking, so to speak? The software that's unique or novel um, is the uh, the software that makes the robots um, act like ants. It's the software that makes them behave like ants. Um, so, um, and this is this is software that um, has been developed by the team at the University of New Mexico Biological Computation Lab, mm -hmm. um, and. Um, the software, um, it makes these robots uh, start at the nest, go out in different directions, um, and do their searching um, in sort of random locations. The software actually 
they use a genetic algorithm that evolves the the behavior of the software over I don't know hundreds of uh, um, generations I guess using a, a, a simulation that evolves the software over hundred gen- hundreds of generations um, in order to evolve the behavior um, based on the environment that these robots are going to be in. So if if you put the robots in an environment that has a lot of obstacles, for example, um, the robots are going to behave differently than if they were in an environment that didn't have any obstacles. Mm-hmm. That's just one example. If you did the same evolution in an environment that had um, all the food was just uniformly distributed, it was, it was kind of randomly distributed, the robots would act a little differently in, you know, how random their search was or they would act differently in, in how often they would leave pheromone trails, for example, um, versus an environment where the, the resources, the food was all clustered into these large piles. They would act differently in that situation. And so the, uh, um, the software uses a genetic algorithm to make them behave um, the most efficiently for the environment that they're in, if that makes sense. Sure. And, and you mentioned earlier, too, that you, you've set up these test runs at NASA's Kennedy Space Center. Can you take us through uh, these tests and focus focusing on your kind of role as these tests are being done? Well, the, these tests, uh, these trials, we, uh, we call them, um, are outdoors uh, in, a, in a parking lot because we need a pretty uh, good-sized arena. Um, one of the sensors I forgot to mention is uh, is a, an onboard GPS sensor that that uh, tells the robot where it is um, on a map, and um, so we uh, those the GPS sensor only works outdoors, so that's why our our arena is is outside. These outdoor trials are are done um, over and over again because I mentioned earlier how the software is. The software has evolved using a genetic algorithm, and um, in order to um, prove that this software, um, in order to prove that the system is finding resources more efficiently than other search techniques, we have to do multiple trials and collect the data, and then we can see whether there's a trend because there's a lot of probabilities involved. So just doing one trial, um, just getting one data point really wouldn't prove um, that this technique was better than others. Um, So um, we're collecting the data um, basically for the team at the University of New Mexico. Um, For a while, they actually had, uh, we actually had one of their graduate students working here um, at Kennedy Space Center with us. but uh, towards the end of the project, um, he had to go back to school. Um, and so um, we're basically running these trials um, and collecting the data and giving the data to them, and they're doing the analysis. Um, and they're writing um, um, several papers um, on the results. Those papers are, are in, re- in review right now, so I can't talk about the, the results other than to say that the result, the results are promising, but I couldn't, you know, throw out any numbers or anything like that. Um, but basically, when the robots are um, doing these trials, when they're working properly, it's actually kind of boring because um, 
you're just there um, in case something goes wrong, um, you know, in case one of them um, gets stuck in some sort of a um, software bug that you um, haven't found before and they just start um, heading for the hills, as we like to say, if one of them um, stops acting like an ant and just starts driving forever, um, then we have to recognize that that's an issue and, and, and go take care of it. These outdoor trials last um, two hours because that's what the University of New Mexico team wants us to run them at in order to collect the data that, that they need. Um, so we just basically put the robots on, on our cart and hauled outside um, along with our laptop and um, set them up and um, start the data collection and then just hit go on all four robots and, and then we sit there and um, monitor the test and um, I take some screenshots as we go um, just in case that's useful for the University of New Mexico team. Um, but at that point, um, I'm just kind of acting as a babysitter um, and collecting data for the for the UNM team, which is kind of working for them at that point. What do you think are some possibilities for this type of swarmy technology? It seems like there's both applications uh, for here and also beyond Earth as well uh, for places like Mars. Yes, uh, this project um, is an ISRU-focused project. Um, ISRU is Institute Resource Utilization, and that's basically, it's kind of a fancy scientific phrase that means uh, living off the land as much as we can, um, which would save us from having to bring um, a lot of things with us, a lot of resources with us, if we can get some resources from the planet that we're on. Um, so um, as far as um, the ISRU concept for the Swarmies is that um, let's uh, Knowing that there is uh, like water ice at the poles of Mars, or you know water ice um, down in in craters of the Moon that that never see sunlight, for example, you could take a uh, you could launch a swarm of small um, resource collectors, prospectors, if you will, um, to that area. You could get them in the general area and then let them fan out and cover a wide area and start looking for and collecting um, that water ice and bring it back to a um, bring it back to a central location where you where you might have a, a factory that turns you know that water ice into um, you know separated into oxygen and, and hydrogen for example which could be used um, as fuel that scenario that I just mentioned is is the the main um, scenario that we kind of used to uh, to kind of sell this project the management um, but we you know as we as we go through this project and 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 uh, more ideas pop into our heads obviously we've we've thought of several earth-based applications for uh, a swarm of autonomous robots that are that are um, able to, to search an area in uh, 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 a great earthbound application would be um, after an earthquake, uh, you could send a small a swarm of small robots um, into an earthquake ravaged area to look for survivors. Um, in that case, you know the the mobility of the robots would need to be able to um, 
traverse over and around, you know, rubble, um, which the swarmies aren't designed for that. Um, but the, uh, the software, the algorithms, um, would essentially be the same because the, um, the searching algorithms and, um, the foraging algorithms are able to find resources that you don't know where those resources are, um, and you're able to cover a, a large area in an efficient manner. And, uh, um, that would be a good use of this software um, uh, on the earth. There's other ideas like um, searching um, um, power lines or pipelines for uh, problems, um, detecting and, and fixing problems on large, widely uh, widely distributed systems like power lines or, or pipelines. Um, searching large areas for um, landmines is another idea that's been thrown out there. What are you working on now and what still needs to be done before this technology moves on to those types of applications? Um, well, this project is focused on proving um, the algorithm that it is um, viable and that it is uh, it is possibly better than other search techniques that are used on other systems. Um, and so um, the, uh, the data is still being analyzed as I speak, um, and then we'll be writing final reports over the next several weeks. Somebody else is going to have to find out about this technology and actually put it into use in a real system. We're just in the mode of, of writing up our results and trying to get those those results and, and um, trying to get uh, a wider um, audience, um, trying to get people uh, aware of this technology um, so that uh, it could be used on other projects. Did you encounter any sort of technical challenges in, in, trying to get the, in an effort of trying to get the coding right? Uh, what were your biggest technical challenges, if there were any? Well... KSC um, is not a real heavy um, robotics center. Mm -hmm. um, most of NASA's robotics um, technology is is developed uh, at other centers, uh, like JPL, for example. Um, but because uh, Kennedy Space Center is uh, is really big into uh, ISRU, in situ resource utilization. Um, we do dabble in a little bit of robotics as long as it is focused on ISRU research. And so um, um, most of the members of my team um, had not, um, did not have a lot of experience um, um, creating robots or creating software for robots. Um, and so, uh, you know, we had, we had hurdles to, to get over there. We all did. Um, but we used some, some tools and some frameworks that were able to help us. It's always a, a technical challenge um, where the simulation is never, um, it's never like the real world in certain cases or it's not good enough. I uh, can't simulate it well enough. So um, you always have, you always tend to have problems um, 
that remain in the software after you think you've got it all fixed and proven that it works in sim, you put it on the real robot and it and it acts completely different and then you have to um, troubleshoot for a while and and investigate to find out what uh, what's really going on and why why that bug didn't show up in the simulation. Uh, we had several examples of that. Um, and in hindsight, it, it makes total sense. Yeah, I, I completely understand why that never showed up in, in the simulation. Either the, um, the real world error wasn't, wasn't there, um, or the simulation environment um, was completely different in this environment, in this, uh, in this area. And so there's no way to, there's just no way to simulate this, this part of the uh, software or whatever. And finally, what do you think is, I guess, the most exciting uh, part of the work? I think it's great how um, when you talk to other people about it, whether it's um, a manager that you're trying to explain the project to or um, uh, like a student who might, you know, be on a tour and, and see the project and, and uh, you have an opportunity to, to talk about the project to, uh, you know, say a, a, a high school student or a college student. Um, uh, they just get really excited about it um, because it's it's tangible. It's it's a robot. They can see it um, there. They can touch it. They can feel it, and you know they can turn the wheels. And um, I've I've had a a, a lot of um, interest in uh, in a lot of requests uh, to demonstrate this technology um, to. Uh, you know, students, um, uh, Cub Scouts, Girl Scouts, um, around the area um, to help, you know, with, with NASA, to help NASA do, you know, some outreach and show off this, this technology and get kids excited about the STEM field.